Hi, and welcome back to Apology, a podcast about books and reading. I'm Jesse Pearson, your host and the founder and editor of Apology Magazine. Today's guest is the musician, songwriter, and budding filmmaker Angel Olsen. Over the course of six studio albums, including last year's Big Time, and numerous EPs, including the 80s cover collection Isles, she's forged a path as one of the most interesting singer-songwriters working today. Angel was also the first guest on this podcast to come prepared with a list of books to talk about, which made my job very easy on this one. And since I feel like I've been a little bit too verbose with earlier introductions here, I'm thinking we'll just get right into it after a brief plea. I'd like you to consider becoming a sponsor of the podcast on Patreon. This podcast is purely listener-supported, and each patron makes a big difference. You can join at patreon.com apology for $5. Thanks so much to the people who've already joined. And now, let's welcome Angel Olsen to the Apology Podcast. So what are you reading right now? Um, so the book that I'm reading right now is, um, it's called X, and it's by Catherine Lacey, um, who I've become acquainted with because she wrote my bio for my record. And I met her in New York um, over the summer, and we were talking about just writing and what she was working on. And I told her about my experience dating a narcissist. And she told me that she was writing a book about it in a way. Um, so, mm. so the book has just started. I'm not too deep into it yet, but it's a, it's about a woman whose wife was a famous performer who had passed away. And she, all of these people want to make, um movies about her life and write books about her life and so and they all get it wrong so she starts to sleuth and write her own book about her wife and she finds out all of these things betrayals and and whatnot just like a completely other person you know while she's digging so that's how the book is starting out um which i love i love that kind of journey <laughs> <laughs> Have you gone on that kind of journey in your personal life? You know, it hasn't been that extreme. <laughs> I haven't dedicated like <laughs> decades of my life to someone and then found out that they have like another family or something, you know, but I've heard stories about people who are like that. And I just wonder if it ever gets to your insides of living like a lie like that, like that, that that's that big. But I think some people are really, really good at lying to themselves. So, so it's, it makes it easier to lie to people. <laughs> I have been in relationships. Well, I tend to be the fixer in relationships, but now I'm dating someone who are both the fixers. So we both are like practicing, not fixing, you know, we're both aware that we're fixers, but in the past, I think I, yeah, I think I, I think I would, I would date someone who's kind of like a mess or you know, secretly a mess, like outwardly looked like they had their shit together, but I knew they were like a baby on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not that I'm not. I just always sought out people who were a little bit worse than me in my mind. Yeah. I mean, we've all got a baby inside somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's been a journey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, I think Catherine's book, I'm not sure if it's from a personal experience or if it's from just creating this character. I haven't yet had time to ask her, but 
Yeah, it's more about like these two older women. Like it's clear like they're like she's lived a long life already and you know which is a kind of devastation that I'm not I haven't experienced yet. <laughs> Another one that I really love that not I didn't read too long ago is uh, Rachel Cusk's new book um Second Place which I've I think I'm going to put it on the Christmas list this year to all my girlfriends because I I really love how pointed her writing is and just, just, you know, people say things all the time and they don't realize that that is writing, you know, yeah, that you're saying things that are real in conversation with your friends. That's what people put in books. They don't, you know, but I think what Rachel Cusk does is she kind of like, and Ferrante too, um, I didn't put her on this list that I have here, but I think that Rachel Cusk has this way of putting her inner thoughts in the way you would share them with a friend over coffee into the book. Yeah. But make, while also making them like way more, um, you know, eloquent and gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so I really love this book because it's all about this woman who, it seems like she wrote it during the pandemic because she vaguely talks about how the world stops. And so like her kids come home and live on the land with her and her husband and, Mm. The way she talks, the way she describes her husband, she she talks about him as though he's he's a simple man. And um, I found that to be, it put me off at first because I was like, oh, wow, you're doing what, like, you're putting your, your husband in a box, you know? Uh, um, but it may, it makes sense after you get to read it a little bit more because she, you, it re, it's revealed that she has this obsession with a painter who she invites to live in her second house. And he is just so mysterious and magical in comparison to her husband, who is like a, a fisherman. And, you know, he works with his hands and he works out in the, on the farm every day, you know? Right. But I think it's such a beautiful portrayal of, and maybe other people wouldn't catch this reading it, but of her love for her husband and her appreciation for him in the end, you know, so I, but, but the journey to get there, the the experience of getting there is really just like, <laughs> um, hilarious, awful, uh-huh. awful events really does. She describes really well, like how you can have an idea of what you want in your life, but you have to play, you have to um, play the tape forward. You know, you, you really have to see a, where would a personality like this fit in my world in a st- stable, loving, interesting way. Right. In, in the long term. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like the the kind of feelings you have about, okay, your relationship has dulled. It's been years. It's stable, but it's sort of like not giving you life as much anymore. And you are, you know, it happens to all of us, you know, even if it just happens in fragments, you're, you're curious, you know, you're curious about what else is out there. And mainly what you're curious about a lot of the time is getting back to yourself and like something that makes you feel alive and like in yourself again, uh, like that relationship once did. And I think she's just really on that search when she comes across this character and loses her, she loses track of herself. 
she thinks she's looking for herself, but she loses track of herself. And when I think about um, infidelity and how people do these things where they have like everything they've ever wanted and the stability and love around them and their family and everyone's like, I can't believe you did this. You, you, you ruined all of it for this thing, for this person who's an idiot, you know? Yeah. Um, I always think, well, it's not really like, it's never really the person, you know, it's always that you were always hiding something from yourself or not allowing yourself to be. And you thought the situation you were in wouldn't allow that. Yeah. So you break free from it. So I love how she sort of like, she navigates those feelings in a really pointed way. Um, which I, and it's a short book. I, I, I've tried reading, um, her series and I'm still, you know, I was, I read transit like halfway a few times, uh-huh. you know, but, but this one is just so, it, I don't know. It just caught me. What caused you to pick it up? Did somebody recommend it? You know, so many people have recommended her books to me. Yeah. I think she talks a lot about her relationships with people and I tend to do that as well. I don't know. I don't know why people recommend her books to me, but I've been, I have like two sets of her series in my house and I look at them all the time. I'm like, I really should read them, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but sometimes, you know, transit starts out and she's like going to Athens on a writing, um, for some sort of like, uh, writing thing. Uh, and she meets this man on a plane and like, she starts describing him and I'm like, yeah, I've, I think he's worth describing, but I also find him to be really boring. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he's worth 20 pages. Like, I don't know. So th- there's been like the material in the past hasn't like struck me, but I think the, the experience of wanting more and wanting to ma- like continue to search for yourself. I think that this is like a really good book for, yeah. for that. But also like the, the, um, to be careful, not to get lost on your search for yourself because <laughs> you might end up with um, just like a crazy situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I just, I love some of the the things she, you know, she, she says something to her daughter, her daughter and her boyfriend aren't doing well and she thinks she's going to break up and she's so upset. And, and at some point, she says to her daughter, don't worry. I'm sure you'll find another white man to let you down. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, wow. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) This is like so harsh. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, she'll say that in one breath and then the other breath, she's just like, she's really, she says it because she's going through all the things again. Yeah. It's also really, really funny. You know, it's like, it's like, um, it's a comedy of errors at first. Yeah. I was going to ask whether she's funny or not. I think it's funny. It's really, it's really like you can, it's really cinematic to me. And I like reading stuff that is seemingly, that is seamless in that way. That's sort of like, you can imagine clearly what kind of living room it is or like what kind of car they're driving or what the second house looks like. She describes it. She knows that she needs to describe those things 
and put you in the place. And she really does it well. So, yeah. And you're going to make a gift of this book. <laughs> um, I might, yeah, I might give it to, to some friends. It's an easy read. It's really short in comparison to the other ones. And it's just, yeah, it's like a s- funny one to give to like a girlfriend or something, you know? Right. Right. I recently got in the distance by Hernan Diaz too. I haven't read that. My partner and he, um, I don't know if he's read it yet either, but it's really good. Um, I met him actually a couple of years ago when we became kind of uh, pen pals. He's um, He wrote another book called Trust that um, I've wanted to read and he sent to me, but I'm like such a, I'm so, my mind is so in the style of In the Distance that I haven't let love of that one yet. Mm. Um, but yeah, a friend of mine, recommended his book to me many years ago and it's about i wouldn't be surprised if this book is somewhere if it's going to be like a movie or a tv series at some point because it's so it also is super cinematic but it's about these two scandinavian brothers during the time of the um, american gold rush and they grow up and i think they're like 17 or 18 and they go, they take a ferry to the United States and they get off on the East Coast. And one of them wanders for a little while too long and they lose each other. And then the other brother gets on another ferry that takes him all the way. I mean, it takes months to get there because they're taking an old boat, but they go all the way down around to California. Wow. And in the meantime, while he's lost his brother, he starts planning and he he's he meets some other immigrants on the boat that he makes connections with to make plans with while he arrives so that he can work for this Irish family. And he, he knows like a little bit of English, but not very much. And it's really about his experience trying to get back to his brother and all the different characters he meets along the way and who take advantage of the fact that he's an immigrant. Yeah. But it's written like a wild West story. And, and, you know, he describes in detail the main character learning how to be a doctor or someone who, who works with the dying and works with like, native native people on their methods of dealing with the dying and dealing with the sick and it's really graphic it's a very graphic book okay i think i honestly think it's a really masculine book uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> As in to rachel cusk which i don't know what you would call that she's got like a her tone is really neutral but i feel very i feel like i can relate to it and i'm you know, feminine. So I don't know, but I think anyone can relate to this, to the subject matter, yeah. but the distance is a little bit more like gruesome. Um, it starts off, you know, they're on a ship in Alaska off the coast of Alaska. And this guy, the main character is ancient now, and he's telling everyone the story of his life. So that's kind of like how this book starts out. And, and it's really beautifully written, I actually, yeah, I just got a couple copies to give to people. So that one and the Rachel Cusk one. Do you often give books as gifts? You know, I don't. And I really should more often. 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting to give a book as a gift because it's also saying that you th- you're guessing that you know something about the person who's going to receive it and that you think they're going to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that the the few people that I got these gifts for will will enjoy it. I wouldn't give it to like my I wouldn't give it in the distance to like some family members, you know. <laughs> like, like, oh, you wouldn't that wouldn't be your vibe. Right. You don't want to read the details of that scene. <laughs> of like pioneer era surgery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to go through that. Right. You're more like a Dr. Quinn kind of human. <laughs> <laughs> Which also has its place. Yeah. Yeah. You can, it's really, it's really graphic and it can be really dark and at points, but I think it, it's a, you know, I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant, but I imagine that this experience can be symbolic for a lot of things happening now and just always. Um, but it's set in the wild, wild west, you know? Yeah. It makes it a little bit more of uh, you're on the ride with with him, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because you're learning about history along with the experience of being him. I was, I was wondering, actually, if you like genre fiction, like Westerns or horror or crime novels. You know, I really, I like, I like podcasts. There's a podcast that I will go back to. It's so messed up. Oh, what is it? It's, um, it's called Root of Evil. Oh, And yeah. it's about the Hodel family. Yeah. And it's so... I don't know why I'm just like, it's that same, it's that like, I want to figure it out. I want to figure out how people get to be like, so what's the word? Uh, but, you know, it, it just seems like everything he did was such a, was planned out and intentional, you know, and, and really, you know, he really thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to say it's mental illness when someone can continue to live their life. Like everything, like it, it's just art, you know? And I, and I, and I love, you know, the, that conversation of like the boundaries of art and there's an, there's another um, podcast. I feel, I feel like I forgot, I forget it now. A friend of mine was ta- talking about it to me and it's about this woman who was murdered by or she, we think she was murdered by this by her partner who was a famous artist and all of these art art historians don't talk about her death oh is it about anna mendiata yeah yeah and and carl andre yeah and um how it's like wow we really really excuse everything for art <laughs> yeah 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 um, I think Root of Evil is is way more intense and, and just like... Yeah. Would you mind giving like the 101 on Root of Evil for our listeners? The Black Dahlia murderer or supposed murderer was this man, George Hodel. And he was um, living in L.A. in the 20s until the, you know, until the 60s, maybe. Yeah. And he lived on Franklin Avenue in this house that looked like a Mayan prison. (laughs) (laughs) And he had a very small family. 
He was the head of VD in LA. And he was friends with all of these artists. He was a huge fan of the Surrealist and Dada movement. Mm -hmm. Loved and obsessed over Man Ray's um, work. Mm. Uh, and, And so that's one part of the story. And then his son, after his death, he was being suspected of possibly being the Black Dahlia murderer. And his son, who what spent his life being a um, a detective in L.A., yeah. sought out to um, dispute that and say, you know, his dad, his because later in, in his life, his, him and his father had a really great relationship. So he wanted to make sure people knew that it wasn't him. And so he set out to prove everyone wrong. And he found out that, you know, it was definitely his father. So he wrote this book and then the two daughters who are the granddaughters of George Hodel, their mother was put up for adoption and her entire life thought that she was um, black or that she was mixed. Right. Uh, and she was raised by a black family. So she was really taunted as a child and went through all of this, um, just her own stuff, her own emotional stuff that had nothing to do with the family. And then when she was 18 and she, she wanted to finally meet her mother, she got in contact with George Hodel and he gave her information about where she was in Hawaii. So she goes to visit her in Hawaii and she learns all of these things about her family. Yeah. Uh, One that she is not black (laughs) at all. Uh, Her birth certificate was false and that her mother has another daughter with her same name. So it's, it's really, it just gets more weird. And then the, the granddaughters, live beyond their mother. So her mother passes away in early 2000 or 2015 or 2016. And they continue to lead the pod. They, they create the podcast right. with all of the people. And David Lynch does the music, which is so weird and <laughs> perfect. Yeah. I'm kind of amazed by how, how they got everything together. And it's so much information coming at you that it's hard to keep up with. Um, You almost wish you could draw a tree of everyone. Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm surprised this hasn't been made into like a limited series itself. They tried to make it a a thing without the the granddaughters involved. And and they just tried to tell the story of Fauna Hodel. But it didn't, it wasn't as good as the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Right. What do you think it is that draws you to stories like that, especially in podcasts? Because there's so many podcasts about true crime that are really popular. I think it's interesting because they talk about how the only entertainment back then was horror and murder and stuff like that because there wasn't TV and, you know, it was, it was like the big entertainment was like murder or mystery and you know homicide was like a big source of like it was you know it, it it was such a um it was spooky and people were freaked out but they were also just like you know invested right everyone wanted to know 
And I think that there's still part of that now. Like I, I, I feel like for me, it's like, I've just always been interested in the human psyche. And so like trying to understand people and like, at what point did this character or person decide to create their own moral compass? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what, uh, what makes people get to a point where they can convince themselves that it's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, that it's totally fine if you just, if you just have no boundaries with your, you know, like what, what is it? What is it about um, someone that makes them, you know, evil in this way, you know? Yeah. Do they even, do they even understand their own evil? You know, like, are they just so lost and so unaffected and wanting to feel something because they are so unwell they don't comprehend their own i mean it must be that way i don't know it's just it just makes me think about like all the different kinds of people that are out there you think you're walking around and people you're living your life and everybody's just you know you know work is hard and everyone is looking forward to something and right but then there are people like this (laughs) (laughs) and it's really i think it's really like it's like really jolting to be like whoa there are people who are methodically planning to murder someone, Yeah, you know, and that's fucking wild to me. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Have you ever encountered like evil in your real life? Only mentally unwell people uh-huh. who are, who think that I'm talking with them and in, in their dreams. <laughs> oh, wow. That must be scary to hear about. It is scary, but it is also like, it's so weird all the things that come along with just wanting to be a musician or be an artist. Mm-hmm. You want it all, you want the attention on your work and your and your life a little bit, but you don't get to choose ever what ends up happening. And, and so, you know, it's, it's hard to know. I, yeah. I want to like put my life out there, but even just saying like, that where I'm from or where I live feels weird now, you know? Yeah. I try to make it fun. I, I have a community of people now. I think in the beginning when things started to get weirder, as I was gaining more attention and, and doing, you know, becoming more and more successful with music stuff, I was a little bit, you know, thank God I have therapists, you know, but I was a little bit like, I didn't have a community of people around me who understood what I was going through. Um, because I live in this small town <laughs> right? and there's like a few other people like me in my situation, but really it's just, I'm, I'm just kind of like the, the only person I know who's going through that kind of thing. But when I go to LA or I, you know, go and visit friends and other musicians that live, um, in other places around the country, I'm like, oh yeah, this is what happens when you make yourself important. You can't just decide to turn that part off. <laughs> right. The part where, where like someone got a little too excited about following just specifically you and, and thinking that what you were doing was directly to them. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so I think, yeah, talking with other people in my community about that and like what, what it means to be an artist who, seems to to make everything vulnerable um 
there's so much of my life that I don't put in my music and that I wouldn't, I wouldn't name people unless I could, unless I knew I could do that forever. (laughs) You know, you know, I wouldn't, there are things that there are rules that I have for myself to kind of keep, you know, allow it to be vulnerable, but not super specific so that people can relate to it. And then other things, sometimes songs are just for me. So they are a little bit more specific, but if you just based me only on my work, yeah, I think that you would think that I would be like a really open, vulnerable person who's just like constantly carrying these songs, you know, the experience of these songs with them. But I don't, you know, in the past I've like featured friends and stuff on Instagram a lot more and like had friends, people in the, in my like, just like in the limelight with me and they've been harassed by random people. So, so I, it really taught me to be careful, you know, to, to just be more aware of like, you know, it might not seem like anyone's looking because the internet is just the internet. Right. <laughs> you turn it off. Um, but people, people are weird. They're strange. Um, and if they, if they, want to create if they want to obsess then they start obsessing you know i don't i don't know what creates that but it is interesting to me uh, like how what is it that happens to a person that thinks you know that they are being spoken to in their dreams by someone you know or that you know i, th- I just any anything to do with the, like um someone kind of like losing grasp of like collective reality. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and um I think that that stuff is really interesting though I don't it's not interesting when it happens at me, of course. <laughs> yeah, I think that would just be scary. <laughs> yeah, but I do feel like you know, it's it's like when there's an accident and you can't help but look. Like you just like <laughs> you need to know. Mm-hmm. There's this sort of like, I think that that kind of podcast or that kind of like storyline or that kind of experience that a person might go through. The reason why it is so interesting to me and to others probably is because it's like, oh, like this is um, another layer of human existence that like we don't think about every day and it's there, you know, and it's not every day but it's also there. And it's this like big mystery. Like what is it that leads to that? So did you really um, make a list of books to talk about? I did. That's so cool. No guest has ever done that before. Well, I haven't been reading, so I felt like I probably should. Um, What's next on the list? um, Another book that I recently restarted um, is E.H. Gombrich. I don't know how to say his name. It's, it's, uh, It's called A Little History of the World, and it was published in the 30s, in 1936, um, and he was... I think still a student at the time when he wrote it. 
it's been translated into a lot of different languages since then. Basically, I mean, a friend of mine told me about it. He was reading it. And um, I've always been interested in history and learning about history, but I, I find a lot of the books about history are really dense and really like they get too caught up in like certain parts of history that don't aren't, they're not like, um, super important to me, you know, they're not super important to the, they're not concise. Yeah. And so this book is like a concise, like as if your grandfather were reading, telling you the story of history from the beginning of time kind of book. Wow. And it reads really easily. And you can read it to a kid if you wanted to, you know, and I, I love that about it, that it's just like, and it, it also reads like it, it was written in the thirties, but it reads like a modern book. Mm. Um, and he has a, a, like a little bit of humor in it. You know, I think it's just like, it's interesting to go back and read this book right now because of what's going on in the world and, you know, history often repeats itself. So it's interesting to like go back and read what happened throughout history, but like in a concise way and kind of review without having to be like, uh, why are we stuck on, um, just the American civil war for this point in time? (laughs) Sure. um, And I think he has a way of sort of talking about how different cultures merged and their traditions have merged. That's interesting. Yeah. Based on like, the trading systems and um yeah i don't know it's been it's been uh a little while since i've read it but i just started it when over the holiday yeah it's it's like a good book to read like a couple chapters before bed kind of thing yeah and it's and it's not like if sometimes if i can't get into fiction like Nonfiction is just easier because i'm like okay i'm in a learning mode i'm not in a i want to go on this journey with you about some character for 30 pages mode yeah you know yeah so it's nice to like break it up with stuff like i like reading about science and about the mind and about like history and stuff like that whenever those things come up is there a historical era that you're most drawn to i really i got really into like learning about water systems and and um during like the roman times which was cool (laughs) and like just figure like realizing like a lot of those systems are practiced today. Like, I don't know. I think that kind of stuff, like when history is written about and it describes um, systems or things that were practiced then and are practiced now, I think that's, that's the most impressive to me right? because it's, wow, it's really like all of these people are gone from the earth and these these things that have been set in place are still part of like they they live on and are part of our everyday life i think that that's really cool and it connects like the past and the future and everything are you talking about like the network of aqueducts yeah yeah that's really fascinating i know and it sounds silly to talk about but yeah there's like little things like that throughout the book where you're like oh it really does take you back into, it makes you think about what you would be doing yeah, or, or how you would be functioning if those tools were what was available to you. Have you ever read um, the historian Mary Beard? No. You might dig her. She writes a lot about 
the ancient world, like classical antiquity, but in ways that make you feel like you can understand the daily life of the people. What is it called? It's called... Well, um, there's one called SPQR, which is about life in ancient Rome. That's really good. And her name is Mary Beard, B-E-A-R-D. Okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, give it a shot. Is there anything else on the list? I feel like you did my work for me a little bit by making this list. I love it. Um, yeah, I put some rock, some rock memoirs on here. Patty Smith, just kids. Yeah. Got me into journaling again because I was like, wow, I need to really be writing this stuff down. Cause I have a lot of friends who are going to be old one day and they'll really appreciate the fact that we like, you know, that there was somebody like commenting on other than just Instagram and social media and all this stuff. I was like, I got really into journaling during tour and like, especially when I was on tour with other people. Mm. Um, and then right after I finished Patty Smith, just kids, I read sort of like <laughs> in tandem, please kill me by Lags McNeil and Gillian McCain. Yeah. Because I was like, okay. And then it's funny because a lot of the characters kind of like make fun of Patty Smith for being like, you know, like fake poet, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Oh, she's such a poet, you know, like, and it's really funny because you get like everyone's perspective of like, oh, who was like taking themselves too seriously at the time. And, you know, and, and maybe it's all, it's just everyone's opinions all at once. So I think that that's a funny, like balance to Patty Smith's just kids. Yeah. Uh, though I still love, even if she was, an, you know, that person to many people back then. I still love Just Kids. I think it's a beautiful book. And I still really love Patty Smith. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it, it, it's, um, I like that kind of thing where like, where uh, you sort of, you get really into people's music and you realize that like, <laughs> you realize that they're just like a schmo, you know? <laughs> just like, oh, like, like your heroes are just like, they're saving all their most intelligent moments for their art. And the rest is like them just being a fucked up human being. And I feel that way about myself. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm like, I'm not walking around being like, you know, thinking sentences the way that I write songs, you know? Sure. I mean, clearly. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not trying to be poetic and clever in my, in everyday life. A lot of the time I'm just, you know, I'm just like, what should I eat today? Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, I have to take these meetings. Okay. You know, like I, I'm not so, so it's interesting to see like people broken down, even if they're all, even if it's everyone's opinions and we don't know exactly whose opinion is right. It's interesting to see like different, different uh, favorite artists sort of broken down in this book in a funny way. Yeah. They're, and they're all being, they're all being kind of that way towards each other. <laughs> There's a lot of sniping. And for those that don't know, we should say that Please Kill Me is an oral history of the early, early days of punk rock, mostly in New York. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sniping going on in that book. Yeah. It's really funny. It is really funny. And then, uh, let's see if I have anything else on here. The other, the other one I have on here is Joan Didion, My Year of Magical Thinking, which is just, it just feels like, the most like obvious book on the list. <laughs> why? Why does it feel obvious? I feel like everybody I know 
is reading Joan Didion right now. Um, or hat or like <laughs> people have recommended this book to me because I've lost my parents and my cat, you know, like, I'm like, Oh, you should read this. And I'm like, no, I'm living that right now. <laughs> right. But, um, but I have read it. I read it a few years ago and I love this book. And I think it is really, it does. It's interesting that she uses magical thinking in the title because, because when you do lose someone, whether it's a partner or a friend or whatever, your family, it does open up this part of your brain to thinking about things in a different way, like almost like you're a kid again. And that, that can be the win when it comes to grieving or depression. It's like it often, if, if you're, if you're, if you can catch it and you can recognize it, there's there can be sort of a uh, an opening or a creative side to it, which I've been able to use for making my records over the years. Um, but not everything has to be, not everything written has to be this like big summation of like feelings. And I'm learning to write as though I'm in conversation with friends and um, make songs that are about everyday moments and less about some realization or grandiose feeling and more just like, how can we embrace, you know, waving at a stranger and public uh, grandiose, you know, because because during the pandemic, that was like the feeling for me <laughs> and for many people. So I'm trying, I'm trying to practice that in my writing and less trying less to be um, neat and poetic and, um, you know, and, and, and we'll see how it works out. I don't know if that will be the, the, the style forever, but yeah, I like to go into these other worlds with history and memoirs and people to kind of see if there are other parts of me that I can tap into as well you know I recently watched um I always talk about this film but um part of a dog by Laurie Anderson um and that is a I think that that is a great way of describing grief and magical thinking because she's so she can be both funny and and honest in a, in an intense way at once, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I wish that that were a book that I could describe in this podcast. But that's one. I think that that's a really beautiful film about loss, and it's also about living during during a different time. Yeah, she talks about everything from 9-11 to uh, her dog playing keyboard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to, like, you know, her mother's passing. And it's all beautifully put together, almost like in a meditational way. <laughs> wow. Meditative way, yeah. Does it address the death of Lou Reed also, or was it made before that? Yeah, yeah. It was so... She... So... People <laughs> have recommended this this Joan Didion book to me, but also I, I what I like to go back to is Heart of a Dog, which you know is about the loss. Vaguely, I mean, it, it's about other things other than these losses, but 
It's about the loss of her mother, Lou Reed, and her dog all in the same year. Wow. It's um it's really funny too and beautiful. So that's something that during the winter, I feel like everything kind of slows down and you're forced to really evaluate your life and think about what you want to do next. And it's definitely like it's definitely hit. Like it started last week and is now fully happening, at least for me. Um, where, you know, I'm starting to really like look around at my house and like, and like look around at the things that I have and all the, and, and I'm just like, I need to get rid of all this stuff or like in the future, I would really like to do that, but it really forces you to think and slow down and, and clear space for the future. And it can be really hard in the winter and really dark because you're everything is quieter and and you can you're you're able to focus in on yourself more sometimes people don't want to do that so i think that having some of these books can really like spice it up i feel like yeah it sounds like you're thinking about change in a lot of ways right now yeah i mean i'm i'm never not i guess I'm always, I want to keep, you know, moving forward and changing, but I think now I'm like, how do I do that and create foundation? When you talk about a shift in your lyrics, do you mean that you're going to, you're working to be more conversational? I don't know. I think more, more just free, free thought, like free flowing thought, like how I would say something if I were saying it to a friend and creating a lyric based on it versus telling a story or something or um, trying to be um, symbolic in some way with words. Instead, just being really directly either stating a fact or asking a question. Maybe, maybe that is conversational writing i don't know i think it qualifies yeah and before we get too far away from it we should say that the year of magical thinking is joan didion's book about um the loss of her husband and her daughter in the same year yeah i think it's my favorite book by her yeah it's really yeah it's really good i was wondering if you read poetry and if so um which poetry do you read i've recently read sharon olds oh yeah I really like her poetry. Um, <laughs> you know, my my partner is really into poetry, and he has a bunch of books that he has. Uh, he he recently um, I wasn't planning on going with him to Portugal. I was planning on going with my friend, but then he joined um, as well with another friend, and I was like, "Look, we're gonna go out," because I promised I would go out with my with uh, my lady friend on this trip. Um, So we're going to go and bond tonight. And when I came back, he had read all of Fernando Pessoa's like Mm. book of poetry. And he was sort of getting, I didn't even realize he, he, he wrote poetry. I just thought he wrote um, fiction. So that was interesting, but I'm, you know, I'm not really a huge poetry person. You know, I have a lot of poetry books that were given to me. And I think people would probably assume I am, 
maybe. Yeah. I like Sharon Olds because she's really, she's really like, <laughs> she can be really um, graphic and really um, kind of like, um, yeah, she can just be really graphic and funny in her, in her um, poems. Totally. And, yeah. But yeah. And I have a huge Emily Dickinson book. That's like the story of Emily Dickinson's life. <laughs> you know? I love, I love Dickinson. She's great. Yeah. And every now and then, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cruise through, but I'm not like somebody who will read it like front to back and like meditate. I think, I think an individual poem can sit with you, um, for years, you know, so go like trying to go through an entire book. I think what you're looking for is that poem a lot of the time. I think you're right. Yeah. 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 So, and I'm not sure if I want to look for that in a book. A lot of the times I just want to like find it myself and maybe that's, but maybe that's just like, maybe I need to let other people, other people in and, and stop trying to be so (laughs) self-involved. Okay. Thanks Angel for your time and generosity. Got some good recommendations out of this one. If you don't know Angel's work yet, which I doubt, please do check it out. She's got the kind of discography where you can really just jump in anywhere and find good stuff. This episode was recorded by me from my home in Los Angeles while Angel was at her home in North Carolina. It was post-produced and edited by Justin Geller in Philadelphia and facilitated by Lars Kreslins, also in Philadelphia. The music is Bach, arranged and performed by Cyrus Garamani of Los Angeles. You can find more Apology stuff at ApologyMagazine.com. And again, please do feel free to join the Patreon at Patreon.com slash Apology. Thanks a lot. See you next time. <laughs>